Join us as we explore not only the profiles and origins of scotches, bourbons, Tennessee whiskeys, and more, but also as we plumb the depths of the human experience. The best conversations are had with a glass of our favorite spirit. Welcome to the Kogan Conversation. The question I hear most often is, how do I know what to buy and if I'll like it? It's a fair question, and if I'm being honest, I learned by buying bottles of whiskey that looked interesting and trying them for myself with a group of close friends who also enjoyed trying whiskey. I developed my palate and know what I like and dislike. However, I recognize that this isn't the most cost-effective way to go about it. One of the things I will always recommend is hitting up different distilleries in your area and trying out some samples with the guidance of the distillers who are there. It's a great way to get to know what flavors exist in which whiskeys and how it's all made. You get to appreciate the different uh, mash bill or ingredients that go into uh, said whiskey. To someone with a novice palate, the difference between scotch, bourbon, rye, etc. is in name only, but these spirits are so much more beautifully complex than that. In this first episode, I'll do my best to break down each category in the most basic of terms and set you up with a solid foundation to understand whiskey. Regardless, a good whiskey is a whiskey that you enjoy. So while I may be going off of my own experiences and palate, I implore you to go out there on your own and sip with an open mind. We're going to start with the most American of all the whiskey, bourbon. The year is 1789, and a brand new spirit out of Kentucky has just been making its way up and down the mighty Mississippi. Elijah Craig, a Baptist minister, is most often credited with the invention of bourbon. Jacob Spears is credited as being the first to label and market his creation as bourbon. Distilling this spirit dates back to 1783 when Evan Williams, a Welsh immigrant and entrepreneur, opened Kentucky's first commercial distillery. Much of the history of bourbon's beginnings are disputed, but given the colony's reverence for French cognac, this new corn-based American-made spirit is named after the French Royal House of Bourbon. Many of our founders enjoyed bourbon and even dabbled in distilling themselves which means our nation was built on decisions made by some pretty smart people enjoying a glass of the same thing we enjoy today. But what makes bourbon bourbon? All bourbon must be distilled in the United States and made with at least 51% corn in its ingredients. The spirit must be aged in unused charred American oak barrels, and the barrel must be filled at no higher than 125 proof, and bottled at no less than 80 proof. Nothing can be added to the spirit, only water to lessen the proof when needed. Contrary to popular belief, bourbon does not have to be made in Kentucky, although upwards of 95% of all bourbon is. In fact, bourbon was recognized in 1964 by the United States Congress as a distinctive product of the U.S.
As our nation's early founders moved west, they carried with them the craft of whiskey. Fortunately for Tennessee, the land, water, and climate, much like Kentucky, are nearly perfect for the production of whiskey. So make whiskey they did. Tennessee was a leading producer of distilled spirits even prior to the Civil War. In fact, Tennessee made so much whiskey that the then-Confederate government of Tennessee outlawed whiskey production in order to field and supply the army, unlike Abraham Lincoln, who provided his generals with bourbon because he noted that Ulysses S. Grant drank so much and was winning. What makes Tennessee whiskey so unique is a state law that defines Tennessee whiskey as, quote, a spirit manufactured in Tennessee, filtered through maple charcoal prior to aging, also known as the Lincoln County process, made from grain that consists of at least 51% corn, distilled to no more than 160 proof, aged in new charred oak barrels, placed in the barrel at no more than 125 proof, and bottled at not less than 80 proof. So essentially, Tennessee whiskey is bourbon with an extra step, the Lincoln County process. Many Tennesseans believe the Lincoln County process further mellows the whiskey and brings out more of the sweetness. Obviously, the most famous Tennessee whiskey that everyone knows is Jack Daniels. Founded in 1875 and obviously owns the distribution and market. However, their longtime rival George Dickel has been breathing down their neck since the very beginning. However, the oldest distillery in Tennessee, Nelson's Greenbrier, recently just came back after being defunct for over a hundred years, using the same exact family recipe and label that made them famous. quote-unquote American whiskey category is a simple catch-all. It essentially encompasses all whiskey made in America that isn't bourbon, Tennessee whiskey, or rye. Although they all fall under the umbrella of American whiskey by nature, there are no requirements in this category and often try to copy the same process and ingredients as scotch. So there isn't really anything special about American whiskey, it's just made in America. That's it. But as far as rye whiskey goes, there is American rye, which has legal requirements much like bourbon to be called a rye. In the U.S., rye must be at least 51% rye in their mash bill, and it's distilled at no more than a 160 proof and aged in, in charred new oak barrels, much like bourbon. The whiskey must be put in barrels at no more than 125 proof. Rye whiskey that has been aged for at least two years and has not been blended with other spirits may be further designated as straight rye. Rye grain is known for imparting what many call a spicy or fruity flavor to the whiskey. Bourbon, distilled from at least 51% corn, is noticeably sweeter and tends to be more full-bodied than rye. As bourbon gained popularity beyond the southern United States, bartenders increasingly substituted it for rye in cocktails, such as the Whiskey Sour, Manhattan, and Old Fashioned, which were originally made with rye. All other things being equal, the character of the cocktail will be drier, i.e. less sweet, than rye. 
Canadian whiskey is often referred to as rye whiskey because historically much of the content was from rye. There is no requirement for rye to be used in Canadian whiskey, and the labels Canadian whiskey, Canadian rye whiskey, and rye whiskey are all legally permitted, regardless of the actual composition. The other big difference for Canadian whiskey is that the barrels that the spirit is aged in do not have to be charred or new. While the earliest record of whiskey production can be traced back to Scotland, the birth of the official whiskey distillery is a title owed to Ireland. Since 1608, the old Bushmills distillery in Northern Ireland is the oldest licensed whiskey distillery in the world. Irish whiskey typically foregoes the smoky flavors you'll see in scotch or other whiskeys because the Irish rarely smoke their malts over peat. They've also got a whole extra category of whiskey in Ireland called pot still whiskey, mixed from a combination of malted and unmalted barley. Scotch whiskey is obviously made in Scotland. The whiskey world sort of revolves around Scotland. Good Scotch has, for a long time, been considered the pinnacle of whiskey. And while the world is certainly diversifying, Scotland remains at the center of whiskey production for now. All Scotch is at least three years old and bottled at about 40% alcohol by volume or higher. The earliest documented record of distilling in Scotland occurred in 1494 in the tax records of the day. The increasing popularity of Scotch attracted the attention of the Scottish Parliament looking to profit from the fledging industry. The first taxes on Scotch were introduced in 1644, which led to an increase in illicit whiskey distilling across Scotland. As the industry grew, so did the taxes and desire for the product, with many distilleries popping up and going defunct over many hundreds of years. One thing that never changed was the unique use of barley and peat moss across different regions of Scotland, and uh, the country's unique, consistent climate that forced the spirit to age for a longer period of time than an American whiskey. Many believe that Scotch is the most complex of all the whiskeys as its flavor profiles vary so vastly from region to region. One of the biggest misconceptions is that all Scotch is smoky. Uh, this is far from true. The Isla region is known for its extreme use of peat moss to provide smoky, meated flavors to a profile, but it's quite different and unique to the uninitiated. And Scotland has so much more to offer than just peat, although peated whiskeys are some of my absolute favorites. But if you see scotch, don't immediately think it's smoky. That's not true. There is so much more nuance to all what I've covered in this short introductory episode. And I can't wait to explore these categories with you. Imagine walking into a smoky jazz cocktail lounge with an elegant shelf of bourbons and scotches behind the bar. Grab a seat and enjoy the ambiance. Enjoy the spirits and the culture. Our goal is to provide an immersive experience in which you are transported to that very atmosphere and to enjoy a conversation about whiskey with the people who love it.
One of our inspirations is the format of Hot Ones with Sean Evans, where he interviews celebrities while they partake in different hot sauces. While we aren't aiming for celebrities, we are interested in getting to know people as they get to know whiskey. Fun and introspective questions designed to get to know someone in the same fashion as Inside the Actor's Studio with James Lipton. Whiskey only helps make the answers a bit more honest. The goal is to keep each of these episodes to about 45 minutes or less and edit it in a way that's interesting and engaging. But we can't improve without feedback, so please, I encourage your thoughts and opinions on how to improve the show as we go along. These first two episodes are intended to build a brief foundation for you to understand what whiskey is and what makes it tick. In episode two, I'll dive further in and discuss the differences between small batch, single barrel, single malt, etc., uh, and you know all the other fancy words that you might find in a bottle or a box. I'll do my best to save you from silly marketing buzzwords on bottles and bust some myths about price points and age. Then in episode three, my producer and longtime friend Grant Brown joins me to share three different Balvini Scotch samples. I look forward to seeing where we can go with this, and I can't wait to have any of you on as a guest to sample whiskey with. Any and all are welcome. I'll even send you some whiskey samples to sample with me remotely while we record the podcast. Be sure to check out our website at www.thecoganconvo.com. Follow us on all social media and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Our next episode comes out June 24th. I'll see you then. Cheers.